Hello readers, welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragonship Publishing. Our guest this week is Shami Stovall, sci-fi and fantasy author and RPG gamer. Before she became an award-winning author, Shami taught history and criminal law at the college level and loved every second. For fun, she reads about ancient China or the Byzantine Empire. If she's not your favorite now, she will be after. Good evening, Shammy. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm glad not to be too here. Bad. Not <laughs> too bad. Hey, I happen to adore RPGs as well. What are your favorites? Well, my favorite favorite of all time is Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo. But what? I really like, yeah, Mass Effect. And um, recently I played the Undertale and the um, Delta Rune like sequel, and I really enjoy those. So you know that's quite a bit. I haven't I haven't done those two. What what are those two? Well, Undertale was like an indie game, um, and the sequel is actually free currently. I don't know if it'll remain free, but um, it was mostly entertaining for the meta value. It was probably one of the first indie games I played that acknowledged the player was playing the game and did things to speak directly to the player. For example, there was a battle I, I fought an enemy, and I didn't want to kill them because the game um, promotes itself as a game where you don't have to kill any of the enemies. So I accidentally killed one of the enemies, and so I reset, and when I loaded the game back up, it called me out for that. It was like, ah, you just saved the game to redo that battle, didn't you? What a chump. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so I was having a good time. Living that. <laughs> yeah, that, the meta aspect definitely blew my mind at the time. That sounds fun. I might have to look that one up. I always play one game over Christmas, because otherwise I only game and do nothing else. <laughs> well, and I recommend that one. The, the music, real banger, so... Oh, I love music. Music's yeah, so important. Yeah, soundtracks, just chef kiss. <laughs> mm, I'm going to look that up. Mm-hmm. So has any of your gameplay sparked off a book idea? Um, you mean like, have I played a game and been like, oh man, I totally need to write a book about this or something similar? Well, it could or just had an idea. Like I saw a TV show once where there was this, you know, it's one of those, um, the Mary the Bloody Mary stuck in the mirror and it gave me this entire idea of demons that if they saw the reflection could come out of the mirror. So like that, that kind of thing. So did any of the games like spark an idea? Well, uh, I really like like space opera stuff and Mass Effect was like super amazing. really loved it. So Mm -hmm. I wrote, um, like I have a sci-fi series. It's a space opera. You know, I wouldn't say like I took inspiration from it because Mass Effect is all about these like interdimensional terrible aliens that come in to kill all of humanity. And that's not really what I'm talking about. But I liked the feeling of like, oh, you're a ship captain and you have like a crew and you and you do things with the crew. And so I was like, man, it'd be great if I like wrote a book that was all about ship captain doing stuff with this crew and a crew. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean inspiration is in big fat quotes because again mass effect has a much different story but i really liked the feeling so i tried to capture the tone mm-hmm. it totally counts because that you what you did was you made your own world right you weren't yeah. just it wasn't just fan fiction which by the way i'm not against fan fiction it's a great place to start if you want to write 
but you really uh, want to write. Yeah, fan fiction either. I just I wanted to make sure that everybody in the audience knew. I'm like, don't read my book if you're like, this will be Mass Effect because I'm like, ah, it's not Mass Effect. It's just inspired it's by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is it a found family kind of story? Yeah, exactly. Um, main character is like a a gangster on a space station. And he is adopted by a starship, basically. And because he's been genetically engineered and altered to kind of be like a step above most normal individuals, he, uh, he becomes one of their starfighters. And then later the captain wants to train him to be like the vice captain of the ship, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's a lot of fun um, ship business, ship shenanigans. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And what's that, what's that book called? Or the first Star Mark Rising. Star Mark Rising. Oh, look, we just saw the cover in there, too. That's really nice. Yeah. That sounds fun. Always looking for new space operas. Like, I was tired of them, and then I wanted to read them again, and then I get tired of them, and then I want to read them again. I'm, I've read so much urban fantasy now, I'm really hungry for, like, space operas. So. <laughs> Done with the werewolves and the vampires. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just need something else. Something mm-hmm. else. Though they seem to all be found family, I think. I Obviously, that is what I like. Yeah, I like that quite a bit, too. It's always... <laughs> So it's a great theme trope thing I like about a lot of fiction that has like huge ensemble casts where mm-hmm. now working together. Yep. Yep. Even though you never would have put them together if you saw them on cards. Yeah, it's okay. Um, they're they're good. They can they can RPG it up as a team. It's true. <laughs> it's just like a family. They argue plenty too, so it's fine. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Um Ernest, uh, Ernesto says that uh, they have a half a million readers for one of their fan fiction. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I'm telling you, man, it's a great place to start. It's a great way to learn. I mean, I did it before I had a computer, right? It was just I wrote Star Trek fan fiction on on paper, which is really weird that I don't write sci-fi. There you go. I did used so. to write fan fiction back in the day, so I, I totally know. That's um, a great place to start. Yeah, I, it's definitely a good, you know good creative outlet for just being like you know what i just feel like writing today right don't feel like well, doing any research <laughs> just gonna make stuff up yeah it's more fun that way well actually you and you uh, offer me a lot of encouragement because you do write sci-fi and fantasy oh yeah so why why do you write both why why do you have hands in both pots uh because i love both um That's i great. really love really love science fiction it was probably my first like love um in high school, I read a ton, a ton of science fiction, especially a lot of the uh, really early stuff. Um, I like Robert Heinlein and stuff like that. And it just blew my mind. It's just why I was like, whoa. And then I started reading a lot of fantasy right after that. And so, and thrillers. I technically read just a ton of like special forces agents doing a thing, beating up everybody on a boat. And I was like, man. So those three genres, I think I've read probably too much of, you know, like I'm like, little Tom Clancy, um, and, you know. And yeah, so I did my eighth grade final project in honors English on Clive Cussler. So no, I feel you. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Kindred so, spirits here. Uh-huh. So I really love those, those genres. Definitely my, my favorites and, and science fiction and fantasy probably blew my mind the most. I mean, after a while, the thrillers definitely become almost a paint by numbers because I'm like, well, once you've read one Jack Ryan book, you've probably read them all. But they're still pretty good. <laughs> awesome. So if you could turn any of your worlds into a game, which one would it be? Um, definitely the First Chronicles. The First Chronicles is already <laughs> based off a game. Um, 
I do. So when I DM, I do homebrew style stuff. We don't use the D&D system. Um, John and I use a system that we made together. And technically, I wrote the Frith Chronicles based off of that tabletop system. So... It's, it's already based off a game. I guess now I would just want to translate it into like a video game or, you know, something like that. Um, but it's based around people bonding to mythical creatures. And depending on what you bond to is the kind of magics that you'll get. So if you bond to a phoenix, you might get fire and healing. Um, and the main character bonds to a nightmare, but it's spelled with a K, not the Dungeons and Dragons nightmare, which is like a fire horse. But it's like a shadowy suit of armor. So he gets a lot of shadow powers. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, it just evolved from that. It's it's a lot of fun. I could see it easily translating to a video game. So that's what the whole Arcanist thing is? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought that was so fascinating that you had all these Arcanists, but they, they had different specialties. Yeah. So I see, so they have different bondings is what they have. Yeah. That's very clever. I really like that one. I actually started reading that first one. Oh, um, nice. I love the Dread, the Dread Pirate one just came up. I love that title. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, the Dread Pirate Arcanist is definitely um, a fun one. Uh, it's all about them sneaking onto the boat of a Dread Pirate, and he's bonded to a manticore. So uh, in, like, legend and myth, manticores are, like, man-eating creatures that live out in the desert and, like, hunt and stalk people and then eat them and stuff. So I've always thought manticores were cool, and then I was like, man, a manticore pirate would just be so bitching. <laughs> Can they swim, though? Can manticores swim? Well, I got wings, so, I mean. Okay, there you go. That's right. That's right. I forgot yeah. they had wings. I'm just seeing the teeth. As soon as you say manticore, I just see all the teeth. <laughs> That's what I was They have a scorpion tail, too, so. Yes. Got all yes. sorts of fun stuff. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I might have gone down a rabbit hole of uh, manticores in one of my fantasy books as well. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, there you they go. They haunt me. They haunt me. <laughs> um, let's see. Keitel says uh, that uh, they would bond with dragons. They would definitely choose dragons. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have an entire, I guess, subplot or more like a lore plot in the in the books about how the dragons are usually the rulers of nations because the mm. mystical creatures are kind of on a power scale. So, like, a will-o'-wisp is a pretty weak mystical creature, but dragons are among the strongest mystical creatures. So the rulers of nations have, like, really elaborate bonding ceremonies for dragons. And in my series, we've at least gone over a couple different dragons and their specific bonding ceremonies. So the dragons are always, you know, they're the hype ones. Got to get hyped for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're dragons. You can't help it. Yeah. I know. They're terrifying and wonderful and powerful. Yeah. Well, and since dragons in a lot of cultures um, are usually considered some of the, like, they're the most powerful or they're the ones that created the sky and the earth and stuff like that, I tried right. to... I tried to base their powers roughly on the things that were said about them in actual real-world myth. So since most nations have a version of dragon, and in every single one of those nations, the dragons seem to be very ultra-powerful, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, every nation has their own dragon that they basically have as, like, the ruling dragon. So, Yeah, it makes total sense to me. <laughs> uh, what else do you do in your spare time when you're not gaming? Well, I, I game a lot, so that, like that's all basically I do with my spare time. Um, I got no time but, for anything else. Oh well, yeah, I got I got to write, or I play board games, or I play video games, or I play tabletop games. So I guess I vary my uh, gaming into different versions of gaming. Um, 
I really like board games. I've been playing a ton of those lately. Uh, I got into Kingdom Death. We got into Kingdom Death a whole bunch. That's a game with like little miniatures. It's kind of like D&D because it has a grid-based combat system. Oh. And it's a campaign, so you play through a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's a little more... It's a, I guess... I, I, I want to say it's more restrictive because in D&D you can make up your own story. But in Kingdom Death they have a set story and you play through the set campaign. So, hmm. um, But I also play a bunch of other board games. You know, like... Honey Buzz or the Settlers of Catan or, you know, Res Arcana, things like that. Yeah, Catan's always the one we pull out if people don't know how to play board games. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the, like, beginner intro level one. Like, uh, we technically like, have oh, things like newbie. Twilight Imperium. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to play Twilight Imperium just, uh, you know, willy-nilly. you got to plan an entire day around that. <laughs> well, the Firefly, too. Do you have Firefly, the board game? Mm-mm. Oh, but my I gosh, have, it's um, Game of Thrones, that's another, like, six to eight hour. (laughs) Yeah, we found Firefly takes longer to explain than it does to actually play. So when you sit down, you explain it takes about an hour. And the first time you play it, it'll take a couple. But if you play it again, it's quicker. So we started, like, we're just going to play this game today. (laughs) And so that we could really get it in our head. But it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, That's kind of how I feel with a couple other ones. Uh, There's like Seven Wonders, which is a game that's a history. Yes, that one I know. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And that one I feel like takes a while to explain, but then when you play, it's like 45 minutes. (laughs) It's It's like, it's not that hard. I'm sorry. It just sounds like it. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's the problem, right? People get intimidated by the instructions. Monopoly is actually really hard to play, you know. (laughs) Yeah. We we play board games a lot of people are like, man, we're gonna go we're gonna go professionally play at Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's one awesome. one of the dudes we play with, he's he won a Splendor competition. Um, mm-hmm. apparently he won a couple thousand dollars in like a Splendor playboard and stuff. So I mean he's over here being like, you know, you gotta mathematically determine what you gotta be playing on this fourth round or else you're not doing the game right. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> You better be ready. <laughs> we'll be ready. See? So next time, next year, Dragon Con. It's on. We're going to table oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dude, we'll yeah. set up a board game table. I'll be there. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah. We even bring our own games sometimes because if they don't have, like, one we want to borrow, we're like, well, we have our own, too, so we'll make it work. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can bring my Seven Wonders. I got all the expansions for that. Yes, we don't have any expansions. Weird. That would be awesome. <laughs> so when did you decide to sit down and give the professional writing thing a go? Um, when I was in law school, I was, uh, DMing and a lot of people told me that they really liked my stories because I would make up my stories wholesale. I wouldn't, um, I know that D and D offers you like campaigns that are pre-made, but I just made it my own. And a lot of people were like, man, I really love your campaigns. Like the, the characters, the things that are happening. It's a great issue. Write a book. And so I wrote a book and, uh, <laughs> I showed it only to my fiance or my now fiance um and he was like whoa man like this is good like i'm i you know he he's one of those guys who's brutally honest like if you cook dinner and then he eats it and then he'll spit it out on his plate and be like that was trash Sammy. why did you even bother <laughs> like that kind of guy okay he's not the dude who pulls punches so when i showed it to him i was like oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll you know metaphorically spit it out on his plate and be like shammy why did you even try um but then he was like whoa shammy like this is good like you should you should pursue this like why are you even attempting to be an attorney you should just pursue being an author and i was like oh okay 
So since then, he's basically been my number one cheerleader and the person who's pushed me on. He reads all my works. And uh, that's why, basically. It's because uh, I had somebody in the background who was like, yeah, you'll, you'll make it one day. You're good enough. That's awesome. Yeah, I see there's an inordinate amount of lawyers who become like fantasy and sci-fi writers. Yeah. I think it's maybe because you write so much anyways. <laughs> Well, it's probably because being an attorney is soul-sucking. I mean, it's just one of the worst professions ever. I love it. Yeah, I did, like, criminal law and family law for a little bit. And of the two, family law is the worst. Um, And it's just sad. So, so, so sad. sad. You're like, no, I want to have a found family where we go on adventures. Yeah, I mean, you, you only go to an attorney when things are wrong in your life. Let's, let's just be straight. Basically, unless you're an entertainment attorney, sometimes you get to do fun contracts, but most of the time, if you're going to an attorney, it's because your life fell apart. And so it's just really terrible stuff. And after you, after you watch some people smash their own face against the wall in order to try and incriminate the, their significant other, you're like, man, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. That's, uh, you're like, really people? You were happy at one time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're killing so, me, man. <laughs> yeah, I decided, nope. And so I just assume if there are a bunch of attorneys becoming authors, it's because they were also like, I'm going to nope on out of here. I need to find my soul again. Yeah. <laughs> and how long did it take you to write your first novel? Um, My first ever novel or the first novel that I had published? Let's say first ever, because that's usually one that takes the longest. Yeah, um, I was probably like six months um and it was really long too it was one of those like i'm gonna write a fantasy epic it's like two hundred fifty thousand words <laughs> okay that was fast that was really fast well i i typed really fast so in one of those moments <laughs> of like hmm, but i did think about it for quite quite some time being like whoa and then rearranging everything rewriting stuff so mm-hmm. you know when i was just in college uh, i had a little more free time so <laughs> and you're like i can make this happen yeah and I see that you're a member of SIFWA and the International Thriller Writers Association, which I didn't even know that existed. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. Why do you think it's important to be part of these professional organizations? Um, I guess it's more like a networking thing. I want to make sure that my name is able to be found on any list of where you would find professional authors because I treat myself, you know, like I am a professional author. I should be on lists with professional authors. If you need to get a hold of me for any reason, it should be easy. It should not be a difficult find. Um, I like going to events. I like doing talks. I, I like doing this interview and um, I feel like I'm pretty agreeable. So if anybody oh, yeah. reaches out to me, I'm usually like finger guns. <laughs> like, let's do that. <laughs> I'm in. Um, yeah. So I just want to make sure that I am available. If you want to get a hold of me for whatever reason, I'm like, that sounds great. <laughs> um, it just in general, I guess it's, it's also like a, you know, again, like a prestige or networking thing to be like, my name is on there. I am in fact an author. You can find me in all the normal places you would find authors like coffee shops. That's right. (laughs) It's my favorite place. I need to start doing it again. Let's see. Kaitel says uh, that they're just part of the 5 a.m. writing club. Hey, that's a good club. Yeah, that is a good club. 5 a.m. every morning and in your club to do your writing. Good for you. Yeah, I usually participate on Twitter there. Although, I must admit, I don't wake up at 5 a.m. I'm usually just still awake at 5 (laughs) a.m. I usually go to bed like around 6. So I'm like, hey, guys, the 5 a.m. Writers Club. Finger guns. 
an hour. <laughs> I'm going to write before I go to bed. They're like, what? What time zone are you in? You're like, don't ask. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't ask. Don't ask. That's right. When I write, I could just say it's 5 a.m. somewhere, right? Totally. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Um, what advice have you gotten that was helpful to your career? Um, just keep going. Just write it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I've seen a lot of authors get discouraged or they haven't finished their work or they're like, uh, you know, nobody, nobody has enjoyed the first chapter, so I'm never going to write this ever again. Like, uh, I'm like, no, no, you should just, you should just write it. You get a lot of experience from completing a book, like from start to finish, like even the experience of writing it and completing all of the scenes and acts and writing a conclusion is very useful. And I feel like most people, if they really, really are serious about being an author, should just finish. They should just keep writing. Yeah, you know, you might get discouraged and a lot of people do get discouraged, but you should, you should persist because persisting is the actual key to success. 100% agree. That is great advice. And which of your books challenge you the most? Uh, probably my space opera. Mm. I uh, wanted it to, you know, I guess I don't go into crazy amounts of science or something over the top where I'm like, the entire ending hinges on this one specific alloy metal that has a certain composition that you can't <laughs> find on Earth. Like, I don't have anything like that, but I still did a lot of research to make sure the things that were happening could happen. And obviously, faster than light travel is always a thing that's talked about in lots of science fiction, but it's usually that, like, this is how we do it, theoretically. Don't look too hard at it. And so I had to think about that for a while, too. Um, mm -hmm. And while I have to do a lot of research for my other books, I felt like it was more important or crucial, or the audience would care more in a science fiction that I got the science at least semi-right, as opposed to... Mm -hmm. Not at all. You know what I'm saying? So I did feel that science fiction was more important or at least harder to write. Sounds fair. Well, that's why we write space operas. So we can say it's magic too. <laughs> I guess that's true. I don't have any magic in my space opera though. So no, no, but no I mean the science wizards. is magic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have like, like psychic or psionic powers or anything like that. It's just, it's just a space opera because there's an ensemble cast and we've got, we got larger than life personalities going on here. <laughs> And cool planets. Wait, what? And cool planets. Yeah, and cool planets, yeah. That's the fun part. Uh, Kaitel wants to know, lightsabers or plasma swords? As in which is cooler or which is like more likely to be in my book? Yes, I'm, I'm going to go with that one because they didn't <laughs> specify. Okay, well, the more likely to be in my book is a plasma sword. I mean, I already have plasma knives because at least, again, those are like things in theory that we can have right now. Um, so I like that. But if we're just going to talk about the rule of cool, lightsabers <laughs> obviously win the rule of cool. Just, well, duh. <laughs> well, they have some kind of like gun on the cover. What what kind of what? what oh, it's a plasma rifle. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So superheated plasma is definitely a cool concept that I read about, and I was like, you know what? We're gonna have some superheated plasma in my books. So, <laughs> like, I am using this. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, your bio says that you enjoy learning about ancient China and the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm. What is it about those time periods that fascinates you? Um, there are large sweeping empires that usually have a lot of internal politics and power plays. And we're very concerned with their nation as a whole, as opposed to 
because um, some nations kind of just crumple under themselves or the moment that their leader is dead, they just fall apart. Whereas, uh, and I know the Byzantine Empire eventually fell apart, but... Um, but it was a long time, centuries. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was definitely a constant evolutionary process that was really fascinating to read. It's the same with China, too. I mean, they have a whole lot of dynasties that rose and fall and rose and fall, but it's it's definitely that, like, grand scope. Like, even even their peoples, even their laws, everything that they did was on a grand scale, and I really like that mentality. It really uh, it really resonates with me in terms of like, oh, this was cool to read. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was enjoying reading some more of this. What's the emperor going to do? How's he going to turn all of his political rivals against him or, you know, turn him on his side or get rid of them? Hmm. I love it. I'm always fascinated where, where they get the information to. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, they have another advisor who tells another advisor who tells a concubine who whispers it to the, the emperor and he's like, hmm. And somebody had to write it down. So yeah. it's just incredible to me. And then when you find out how much they just guessed, I'm like, oh, come on, people. <laughs> well, uh, especially with a lot of, like, ancient Chinese history, yes. it seems like a lot of it was written, like, 300 years after the fact. So you're like, hmm. you're like I wonder how accurate that is. But um, it's still, you know, an amusing story. So <laughs> It's pretty cool. Um, Ernesto wants to know, what do you think is harder to write, the beginning of a story or the ending? Uh, the beginning, uh, by far. The beginning is the most important part. People have to be sucked into the story. There are a lot of specific story beats you have to get in the beginning, whereas you don't have to have a, a set sort of story beats for an ending. A lot of endings can be di different. You know, you can have a cliffhanger ending. You can have a bombastic, that's the end of the story ending. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. But most beginnings, you've got to got to establish the protagonist you got to give us a hook like a reason why we need to care why we should keep reading this story as opposed to the millions of other stories that were published today you know like that kind of thing um you know you have to give us basic world information where exactly are we the setting things like that like there are things you just have to have and so i feel like it's harder than an ending which usually feels like the culmination of the story anyway so i usually write the ending really really quickly Whereas I agonize over the beginning because I'm like, uh, and sometimes people will read your beginning. They'll read like the first page and they'll be like, well, I don't want to keep reading this because the main character doesn't have a dog and I only want main characters <laughs> with a dog. And I was like, oh no, you know, like that's really specific. Yeah. You're like, you're killing me here, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I use that as a joke, but I have had people be like, I don't think I would continue reading this because of this one really specific detail that was mentioned in this one sentence on the first page. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> that's, uh, I didn't realize that it was that important, that random detail that didn't even matter to me. I put it in there as like a side thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. So I de I've definitely learned from lots of experience and question, like question and answers that the beginning definitely will, has more impact I mean, if a person reads your entire book and they get to the end and the end is terrible, it'll still have an impact. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you can be like, ah, I don't need to worry about the ending. It's just that in order for someone to even get to the ending, the beginning had to be good. Absolutely. Your yeah. job as a writer is to get the reader to not put down the book. Yeah. So you need to start at the beginning and work your way all the way down. Yeah. And you know what? If it's a standalone, your ending can suck. It's fine. But <laughs> not many of us write those. Yeah. And word That's of mouth is, is good. So if your ending sucks, word of mouth isn't going to get out either. Yeah. Very true. Very, but very true. I agree with you. But if they don't keep reading, there's no point. Yeah. It doesn't matter how great your ending is if the beginning is bad. 
because they won't get to it. Yep. Yeah. I have to tell them that a lot. But it gets really good on page 30. I'm like, that's great, but the readers aren't going to get to page 30. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should start on page 30 then. Right. <laughs> Let's start here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Florida Kevin says that uh, he had a guy tell me he didn't want to read my books because there was a strong female character and he just had a divorce and didn't like loudmouth women. Oh, <laughs> Oh, oh my this is God. when you go, you know what? I don't think you're my reader. <laughs> I don't think this is not for you. Yeah. Well, there's there's always a piece of me that wants to be like, so are you suggesting that I completely rewrite my book because you had a personal issue in your issue life? Is, yeah, like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. There are people out there for you. I'm not the one. Just yeah. So you know. yeah. The, yeah. I mean, at a certain level, you do have to be like, mm-hmm. you can't please everybody. Mm-mm. some people just have really weird or even want to when they're like that no <laughs> well some people are just you know some people are like hey i don't like stories with magic in them because magic uh, you know magic is just not my thing and i'm like okay well me and you probably aren't getting along so like, that's magic, exactly my books have magic so if that's not your you. thing i'm not your writer that's yeah exactly <laughs> you should probably move on like there are other there are tons of great books out there no magic whatsoever magic yeah, you can read those. Uh, so yeah, that is another part of being an author is really just learning that you can't please everybody. There will always, always be critiques of your work. Someone is going to, you'll have that one person on one hand be like five star, the best book I've ever read, book changed my life, loved it. And then you're going to get that one star and the person's going to be like this hack fraud. They don't even know how to write this book. I hate it. Like you'll just, you're just going to get it. So you can't please, you should ignore the dude who gave you a one star. Mm-hmm. And focus on the people who like your stuff. Because if you wrote your book and you liked it and this guy liked it, you guys are jiving. You should just remember him whenever the you know darkness comes to take you when you're like, oh, no, is my writing even any good? Forget dude who called you a hack fraud because in all seriousness, uh, writing is an art form. You just do you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Personal preference definitely comes into play. Yeah. Uh, Kaitel wants to know, what is the hardest kind of MC to write about? And this could just be for you personally. Um, well, I guess for me personally, it would be a character who starts off really unlikable. I don't mm. particularly like main characters who are insufferable or like who are complete douche wagons. Um, I tend to like main characters who are fundamentally at their core good people. Um, I also like main characters that have at least one quality that they are really good at. Like they excel. I technically wrote a book where um, a lady was really, really good at computer coding. Uh, But she was very physically weak because she had been shot. And so one of her legs was a little weaker. But I really like this character because she excelled at this one thing. She's fundamentally a good person. And even if she's not beating everybody up, she's the one who solves the problem at the end because it's mostly to do with computer coding as opposed to beating everybody up. But I've also wrote the character who's just, I'm a Delta Force special agent badass, and I, I whoop everybody's ass, and yeah, that's what I do. Whether you need it or not. Yeah, but but he's not going to be computer coding nothing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, he's over here being like, I barely knew what computers are, because I spend uh, most of my waking days doing push-ups, and you're like, okay. <laughs> but as long as he's a fundamentally good guy, I'm also on board with him. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I they all have like, their place. Yeah, yeah but if, if they're fundamentally bad or evil or somehow just really dishonorable i don't like them and i don't really want to keep writing them and then it feels difficult for me to even care about my own character so i'm like uh, i've tried i've tried a few times because some people have been like wow it would be really fun to read a book from an evil you know a villain character 
And I'm like, man, maybe some other author should write this because <laughs> Shammy doesn't really. It's not for me. Yeah. I, I don't mind characters, like some characters or subplots with redemption arcs. I love those. Mm-hmm. I just don't want the main character to constantly be like, and then I'm just going to going to donk over everybody around me for my own personal benefit. And I'm like, what a douche. <laughs> like, so then I, then I hate it. You're like, I know I need this character, but I don't want to write him. Yeah. That I so can. most of the time, most of my character is fundamentally good. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, if you could hang out with one of your characters, who would it be? And where would you go? Um, hmm. I mean, a lot of my characters I would just hang out with and be like, what? Um, I guess I would probably hang out with the starship captain, DeMarco, um, mm-hmm. because he he definitely has one of those like larger than life personalities. I'm, I'm usually not quite as like uh, confident and uh, crazy. You know, I'm, you know, I'm the other person in the background who's like, and I'm also here. <laughs> but he's the more like a showboaty type of individual who's like, I can handle this. Any problem that comes our way, I've got it. Even if internally he's like, I don't think I got it, you guys. But he's going to have this facade of totally doing it. So I like him. captain right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's fun. I guess if I was hanging out with him, I assume that we could then also hang out in his universe and I would want to hang out on a starship. You know what I'm saying? I really mm-hmm. like Volk from my first Chronicles. And he's in like an Age of Sail world so it would be cool to ride on a, like a man of war ship or something like that um and volk is a nice guy don't get me wrong and it would be cool to see magical powers but i think i would be i would be sad if everybody else had magical powers and i didn't if that makes any sense and be like eh, tell me about your magical adventures <laughs> well I'll maybe you would here. bond with a tuna or something you don't know it could happen yeah well i'm well i'm chilling with my characters i'll just bond with something it'll be amazing well maybe that's if right. that's what happens yeah i mean it makes sense to me yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that should happen. That's great. I thought I thought Volk was the bad guy. Volk? No, he's the main character. Oh. The Dread Pirate Callisto is a bad guy. The Autor oh, is a bad Callisto. guy. Um, Theosin, a uh, random researcher, he's a bad guy. Yeah, like there are lots of other bad guys, but Volk is the, he's the dude who high fives everybody at the end. Jumps <laughs> up in the air. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, let's see, if you could write in any world that wasn't your own, which world would that be? The Mass Effect world. I would definitely, like, I know that they contract out people to write mm-hmm. books in those types of universes. Yeah, and they do. I have, I have actively looked at those avenues multiple times being like, hmm, what, what do I need to do in order to write in these universes? Because I feel like that would just be, you know, a, a nice honor, I guess. Not like, I, I want to base my entire life's work off of it, but... If I could just do one or two books in that universe, I would be like, bucket list. <laughs> hey, they talk about that as superstars, how you can do that. Oh, okay. They well, say superstars. Then. Now you really mention for you, next on the list. Okay. Um, what is your, oh, oh, we're down to the lightning round. We've oh. got the important ones. We have very, very important question. Oh, wait, before we get to that, Ernesto wants to know, how do you pronounce Aldegis? Oh, um, see, I pronounce it Adelgis. But my audiobook uh, narrator pronounces it differently. So technically, his way is canon. So I mm. say it is um, Adelgis. He says it is Adelgis. So the oh. official way to pronounce it is Adelgis. <laughs> there you go. That's your answer. Yep. Trust the artist. That's what I do, too, with the narrator. I'm like, yeah, this one him. I'm very specific on. Everything else, I trust you. <laughs> yeah. Um, he pronounced Volk as Volky. 
when he was first doing the narration. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're like, <laughs> not Vol- this one. <laughs> yeah, not Volky. Um, but when he pronounced it as Adelgis, I was like, I guess it's Adelgis now. <laughs> kind of like the sound of that, actually. It works. Yeah, so. Excellent, excellent. So our lightning round, we have our very important question. And the most important one is, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Mint chocolate chip. Good choice. <laughs> Uh, it's a popular one among writers, apparently. So. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, good. No, good choice. Favorite style of music? Techno. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Go back to sleep. <laughs> Great answer. For you, I guess, up. get up in the morning is not appropriate, is it? <laughs> yeah, hit the alarm, go back to sleep a little bit longer. <laughs> I love it. What is your least favorite chore around the house? Um, the dishes? Probably the dishes. Yeah, they're never ending. Yeah. What is your favorite holiday dish? To eat? Mm-hmm. Uh, turkey. Um, I love, love, love turkey. And I feel like the only time that you make an entire whole turkey is for the holidays. It's like the only acceptable time in which you can be like, guess what we're going to have for dinner? It's a 20-pound turkey. <laughs> Unless so. you're in my household. Anyways. Um, <laughs> and finally... Where can fans find you and your work? Um, they can find me at sastovallauthor.com. That's my like actual website. But technically, I'm like on every social media ever. Usually, is Game Over Station. But if you just search Shammy Stovall, I'm there too. Uh, I have gone way out of my way to make sure I'm just everywhere. So um, never you can just Google my name, really. <laughs> That's awesome, awesome. Well, now that Shammy is your new favorite author, please review her work. And also, please review us wherever it is you get your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitch or subscribe to us on YouTube. And we want to thank DH Dunn for being one of our subscribers on Twitch. Thank you very much. Thanks for keeping the lights on around here. And we will see you next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central with Jay Mazur. Hmm.